It's just great to have you guys with us tonight. It's great to have David all the way from Hawaii. What a cool place to live, Hawaii. So um, let's welcome him. I'm not going to stand around too long. Let's welcome David as he comes and shares what God has put on our heart. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Aloha. Aloha. That was average. <laughs> Aloha. That's more better. Did you know you were somebody? I love, I love to speak pidgin Hawaiian. It's great. Yeah, yeah I know you, brother. You're somebody. I know you're, you're Marta. She's somebody. You go come. You know what I mean. <laughs> I am home. 68 years ago, an eight-year-old boy gave his heart to Christ in a tiny little gospel hall, Tory Street. I remember that. My mum and dad had dragged me to church to hear this bald-headed missionary. You know the spiritual ones are bald. (laughs) And I was the only child there. Must have been about 24 people there, not a large crowd. And that night, not only did Gordon Junk speak about the mission field and the lost, but he preached the gospel. And when the appeal was given, every head was bowed, every eye closed, request was made. Those who would like to give their hearts to Jesus lift your hands, look to the left and the right. Mum and dad had their eyes closed. Everybody had their eyes closed. I whipped my hand up and took it down. Whew. Nobody saw me. <laughs> and then I was asked at the end of the service, at the end of the service, that those that had raised their hands, if they would come and meet Brother Mercer in the tea room at the back of the church was so small you couldn't swing a dead cat in it. Well, I was petrified. I had no idea what they were going to do in the back room. So as I'm sneaking out of the church, suddenly this massive adult male hand reached through time and space and grabbed my shoulder. Did you raise your hand? No, no, no. But Brother Mercer was so gentle, he, he said, would you come, I'd just like to pray with you. And that night I gave my heart to the Lord, I was born again. I woke up the next morning and I knew that I was a child of God. I felt sorry for the, the Methodists and the Anglicans, they didn't know Jesus as I did. A little naive that I knew the Lord. Never underestimate what children can understand because the Holy Spirit interprets the heart of God to the youngest of children. And uh, when I was eight, uh, when I was 13, God called me to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a doctor. They made so much more money. 
And I had a desire to see people healed and made whole. And I think it was my uncle that was a surgeon that that impacted my life. And I, I wanted to be a surgeon, but I didn't have that ability. But I tell you what I did have. I had the call of God. And I said, Lord, what will I say? Who will listen to me? And the Lord said, I will put my words in your mouth. You know, it's wonderful when God puts his word in our mouth. He does it. Broken and contrite spirit when we feel limited, with little to give, he touches our lips, and our lips burn with the word of God. And we have to simply declare what God has placed in our mouth. Does this discard studying? Absolutely not. But there's nothing more powerful when the word of God passes over burning lips because a heart has been consecrated to God. When I was 19, I left Auckland for England. 17. Nineteen years of age. All I had in my pocket was thirty-three pounds, and the promise that God would provide. Thirty-three pounds doesn't furnish one's education. And I made a commitment because I'd been influenced by men of faith, such as George Mueller, J. Edwin Orr, men that trusted God for every part of their livelihood. They had been called of God. And trusted in God. And I remember on, on the ship, we started a, a VBS, a vacation Bible school. We had kids' crusades on board. We started prayer meeting in the Lutheran pastor's study. And we had a dear brethren man that wouldn't pray because there were women there. Can you imagine having women praying? I mean, what is coming to the church? And uh, we had Sunday services. Arrived in England, took a train from Southampton to the heart of London in the middle of the night. Arrived at the Bible school that was a converted Catholic convent for nuns. And it looked like one of those eerie movie scenes. It was spooky. There wasn't one light on that building. I guess they were saving the Lord's money. And I can still remember the taxi dropping me off. I'd shared a cab with, a, with, with another fellow. And, and, uh, and here I was standing outside the, this large, uh, daunting, dark building with four suitcases and a leather bag that I had bought in Egypt for next to nothing. I'd robbed the Egyptians. And 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 I rang the bell, and there was a hollow echo right through the building. Nothing. I rang the bell again, and suddenly, the on the third floor, the window was flung open, and this massive woman, whose name was May, an Irish girl, she said, "And what would you be doing here this time of the night?" <laughs> and I said, in my good Kiwi accent, "Well, I'm David Reese Thomas from New Zealand." <laughs> And that, that, that began a life of trusting God. Met my Swiss wife there. 
When I met her, she couldn't speak any English or very little. She knew two words, yes and no. Before uh, she learned any more, I asked her to marry me. (laughs) (laughs) And she said yes. And she's been horrified ever since. (laughs) That's not quite true. Makes a good story. (laughs) And God did provide... And I was, I was given the privilege of, when I graduate after two years of theology in London, going to a church right up north in Bradford, you know, where the ducks fly backwards to get milk out of ours, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was the home church of Smith Wigglesworth. His family were there. And uh, two of his children were there and grandchildren. And I heard, learned stories of faith, of how he believed uh, for the sick and the dying, how he raised the dead. A rough, uneducated man, but a man that implicitly st- st- uh, believed the word of God. And the man that uh, was a senior pastor um, had had a degree from Cambridge, was well-educated and was an excellent Bible teacher. And for two years, I uh, I listened to this man expound the scripture we started with five young people. We met every Friday night for prayer just to wait upon God. Led them, those young people, into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The youth group began to grow. And when we left, when I left two years later, we had about 85 young people, which in those days was good. And about five of those young people ended up in full-time ministry. And then God led me to a church in Cardiff, Wales, was the largest Pentecostal church in England at the time. And the man that uh, I, I served under was a man by the name of P.S. Brewster. He not only pastored a church, but he pioneered over 51 churches in England. He would go into a city such as Oxford, start with advertise heavily, uh, was a divine healing crusade, and invariably... What would start the ball moving would God would perform a significant, verifiable miracle. And in Oxford, he preached the gospel, and a professor from the university there that had been a cripple for many years attended his divine healing service, was instantaneously healed. It turned the city upside down. Why am I sharing this is because God has not changed. And if ever we've needed the miraculous, the supernatural of God is today. Signs and wonders, the signs draw attention to the fact that God is working. Not only with physical acts of healing or miracles, but changed lives. And we have been called as the church of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. That is our primary mandate. It is go. The body of Christ is the ecclesia of God, the gathering of the children. This is the church. We're the church tonight. From different parts of the city, from different parts of the world, we have one Lord and we have one Savior. And God has much more that he wants to do with his church. And what he offers you and me 
is not a life of prosperity. He offers us a cross. He said, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. When God's in the process of your life and mine, things change. And we need to be changed. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ. The world laughs at the church, and sometimes they have reason for their laughter. But there's nothing more wonderful, as I said this weekend, that when the church moves in power and authority and in the joy of the Lord. Uh, I was reading the scripture in, in Acts chapter 10, the story about Cornelius. There are two men that, that heard from heaven. One was a Jew and one was a Gentile. Cornelius was a man known for his generosity to the poor. Peter, the apostle, called to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. And God brings them together supernaturally. God still speaks in dreams and visions. The thing I like about being old is that when you get old, you can fall asleep anytime you like. <laughs> Now, the young people, you can't fall asleep. You have got to stay awake. Because Joel made it very clear in the last days. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men and women shall see visions, you see. So when I fall asleep, I tell my wife, I'm just uh, checking out so I can have God speak to me in the dream. <laughs> and you know what he does? Yes, he does. He does. And uh, <laughs> that's a powerful thing. I turned 77 next, next birthday. I, I know I don't look it. I know I look old. But uh, my, I, I, I was very sick this year, really critically ill. And, you know, there's something about sickness that reminds you of your limitations of your humanity. When the doctor says, you know what, you had, had the potential of being fatal. You know, you, you think a little differently. You're not trying to build equity in your, in the stock market or reputation or fame. You, you, you look at your life, uh, from, from a new perspective. And, um, I found myself weeping a great deal. You know, when you're in the presence of the Lord, and we are in the presence of the Lord tonight. God's here. When the presence of God is in the house, all things are possible. And there's some here tonight that you need God in your life. You need, you need God to bring a freshness to your life. There's a staleness. Others, you're just, you're just broken. You're lonely. You feel isolated and uh, surrounded by people. And yet there's that ache in your heart for closeness, for intimacy. Yes, with people, but also with the living God. And I, I asked the Lord, not only this year, but it was two years ago, I said, Lord, the mandate you've given me that's to encourage churches and leadership, it's not because I've arrived. The church doesn't necessarily need new information. It needs transformation. 
It needs men and women walking in the fear of the Lord, holiness, without being weird. I've had my stomach full of weird people, you know. You know, I get very nervous when somebody says, I've got a word for you. (laughs) See, the more natural you are, the more spiritual you are. That's the life of God. The life of Jesus is creative. And so my prayer is that the young People, young men and women, see an older man still zealous for God, still loving God passionately. And I can say from experience, you can trust God with your life. I've tasted his grace. I've experienced his kindness. And I've been changed by his faithful response to my inadequacies. And and it's it's really interesting that in this dialogue, you see, because I'm an encourager, I can bounce all over the universe. Okay, teacher has to stick to linear points, but <laughs> but in in the scripture that we're reading, and uh, is that Peter goes to Cornelius's house, and when he steps inside the house, which was prohibited by Jewish law, Cornelius falls to his his knees and Peter says, no, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. We need to remember that we are just men and just women, that God has touched and expressed his love to us. And then, uh, if, if you want a scripture, because some of you get nervous if there's not a Bible verse quoted, <laughs> Acts chapter 10 and as you get older, the print gets smaller. Uh, Acts chapter 10 uh, and verse, verse 33. Now we hear all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Here we have men and women that had receptive hearts. Do you have a receptive heart when you come into the house of God? We have come to hear the word of the Lord. We've come to hear. What have you come to hear tonight? The word of the Lord. I trust, I pray. In his presence. I love the presence of God. It's more than goosebumps in the back of your vertebrae. The presence of the Lord is encompassing. It's enveloping. It's life-changing. And it, 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 the presence of the Lord is the comforter coming alongside of us and saying, I am with you. You are not alone. Then Peter began to speak. And this is what he said. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Did you hear that? But accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God always responds to righteousness. And the significant element with righteousness It's not even righteousness that we have developed. We have imputed, given, imparted to us the righteousness of Christ. I am made righteous in him. And and then he says, uh, you know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know, People say, "What do you what, what do you think about the political situation in 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 um, in America?" I say, "It's 
catastrophic. But you know, I'm not looking to a man or a woman to deliver me. God said, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my kingdom. And, and, and our trust must be in him and him alone. And, and it's noticed to say he is Lord of all. There's something burning in my spirit. He challenges us as to his lordship. Who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your assets? Who's in charge of your appointments? Is he Lord? To know his lordship means a submitted, yielded will to the living Christ. I yield, I surrender. My life was touched by Edwin Orr that wrote a book entitled Full Surrender. And, and I remember when I surrendered my life to God, Romans 12.1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your bodies. Boy, our bodies jam us up a lot, don't they? Are you, am I the only one? But we present our bodies, not some ethereal spirit, you know, moving through the universe. Our bodies, our bodies need to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's not just our sexuality, it's what we eat or don't eat. And I'm preaching to myself, I plead guilty. (laughs) But is he Lord? Is he Lord? Is he Lord? You see, with with the, the element of the life of Christ that we walk in and move in, to that degree do we have authority in, into reaching into the world and proclaiming the gospel. We drain ourselves of authority when we, we, we have secondary or hidden motives as to why we preach the gospel or why we serve. And then he says, you know how, what happened throughout Judea, beginning Galilee, after the baptism of John preached. Now this is the verse I want to really focus on, verse 38, how Jesus, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. If Jesus as man needed the power of the Spirit in his life, how much more do we need the power of the Spirit of God energizing, driving us, enabling us today? And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus went about doing good. That's our mandate. How many of us have a tendency to compare ourselves with others? They all went about doing good. God is saying to the church, rise up and be the church. Go. For my sake, for the lost's sake, go. Time is running out. There's an urgency in my spirit. We have lost people all around us. The church is not a game. It's not a place to hide. It's a place so that we can come together to corporately worship, be encouraged, break 
bread, celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, and then go back out into the world, refreshed because we've partaken of fresh manna, and we've drunk of cool water. And as refreshed children of God, we have something to offer broken men and women. We have the good news of the gospel. Why do we settle the second best? And how Jesus went about, filled with the Holy Ghost and power, and how he went about doing good. You know, I, I remember when I, I first came into the charismatic uh, Pentecostal mode, I was told, now, we, we just preach the gospel. We don't feed the poor. We don't clothe the poor. No, no, that's, that's what the modernist church does. We, and, and, I, and I thought there's something not right with that. You cannot know the love of God and not want to care for the poor. To share your life with others, to weep with those that mourn, and, and, and to celebrate those that have life. I know I sound as though I'm preaching, but I mean that with all my heart. Don't underestimate what you have in this church, brother. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I remember when I was in, in Cardiff, Wales, going down into a coal mine, way down into the bowels of the earth, helmet on my head, getting on that little trolley and going to the pit face, a mile, at least a mile underground, and then the miner that led me, a real Welshman, full of fire and power. <laughs> I want to show you an experience. We literally got on our hands and knees and crawled to the pit face. I could reach up and touch the ceiling, the roof of that cavern. And he asked that we distinguish our lanterns on our helmets. It was a darkness that could be felt. That's hell. A darkness, lostness forever. That's why we must preach the gospel. People without Christ are lost. And we have the good news. We must get over just trying to be comfortable in our faith and say, I'm going to pour my life out that people come to know Christ. But it, there was something about that darkness. And then, then he did something. He, he lit one tiny little filament in his helmet. And you thought it was a lighthouse on Capity Island. I'm trying to be relevant. <laughs> The Lord spoke to me. We might be in, in a dark world, but this little light of mine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And the world will know that the light of God is shining because the way we love one another. If there's someone that you have odds with in your local church, you better get it right. 
Where there's unity, God commands the blessing. This fellowship. But then there's the doing of good works. Not only do the world know us by what we live, but what we do. Caring for the poor. A lot of poor people around. Even in America, there's a lot of poor people around. What do we do? Went about doing good. So there's the practical, then there's the physical, healing all that was sick, for God was with them. Now sometimes we we feel responsible when people are not healed. No. We're commanded just to go and pray for people that are sick. You don't need a theological degree. Just come and lay hands on someone and pray in the name of Jesus. You love the Lord, but you've been carrying a lot. Cast every care upon the Lord, for he careth for you. Lord, I just pray you'll lift the spirit of depression right even now, Lord Jesus. The Lord beautifies the meek with salvation. He touches our lives and he makes us beautiful. Lord, I just bless bless this young woman, I pray. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. He's kind and gracious. He forgives all our sin, all our unrighteousness, and makes us whole. I'm not here to embarrass you. I just want to let you know the Father's love. You need the Father's love, don't you? That's been the... Would you stand? I'm just going to hug you as a dad. Okay. Lord, I just pray that you'll be as a father to this young woman. She'll know your love so powerfully and gently. She's wept on a bed, Lord, and she's crying. The vacuum of silence. We say, come to her and minister your life to her. Lord, you see her as special. Bring healing, I pray, and laughter and joy. In Jesus' name. What God has placed in you, you know. Does that mean something to you? I know it does. God bless you. He lifts despair from us, those feelings of depression. He gives us his peace. You know, all of us, if we're honest, we beat ourselves up when we mess up or miss the mark, sin. He forgives all our sin. And he casts it behind his back. You know, God suffers, as I said earlier this weekend, God suffers from amnesia. (laughs) When we confess our sin and pass it behind his back, he forgets. You don't need to remind the Lord. He doesn't want to know. He wants to show you his love. Do you know what? You're experiencing it already, aren't you? Is a gentleness of the love of the Lord. You've got a lot to give. 
to gather kids and children in your arms and just love them. That, that, that's in your heart, isn't it? I know it is. Suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus. Sometimes all, all a child needs is to be hugged and loved. And the love of God flows. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. See, Jesus went around doing good. He noticed need and he responded. The religious people were not happy with him because he he encroached on their territory because they were in control. They were holding the purse strings. And Jesus said, what I give is free. There's no charge. There's no charge. See, Jesus noticed people. We need to notice people. I notice people all the time. I don't need a pulpit to preach. In very, I was in, in the hospital. I ministered almost every nurse on our floor. <laughs> every doctor, every doctor. And I wasn't weird either. <laughs> in fact, one, one night I was shuffling down the hallway. I had a bacterial infection that they, they didn't know what caused it. I'm in the second one that had, has this particular one. I'm special. <laughs> and I, I, I was really sick. And I'd been there three months before with, with another bacterial infection. And I'd had the opportunity of ministering to the staff and doctors as well. And I was shuffling down the, the hallway and this nurse looked up from her desk and said, Don't I know you? I said, you could do. She said, you prayed for me. I said, did it work? She said, yes, it did. Nurses would come in and, and I'd engage them. There's a key to every heart. Just ask a question. The question causes an engagement. Just a simple question. One woman came in and she came shuffling. She's a nurse, just a dear Dear Hawaiian woman, I said, how many children do you have? She said, 14. She really has grabbed the scripture, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> but with, four, with 14 children, I could see she was, she, she was struggling with her marriage. There was little help for her and she felt so overwhelmed. She was walking in depression. And I just, I, I just began to minister. I even described to her what she was walking through. She, how do you know that? Are you a fortune teller? That's when I, that's, I don't tell people I'm a pastor. They, they, they do funny things. I said, no, I'm a pastor and I notice people. And I prayed with her. See, wherever we go, there are people. Even just to say I'm praying. For you, I, I notice you, your, your sadness. Notice your sadness. And, and just being there, that smile, that smile, that hug, that handshake, that acknowledgement, that's true in the church. When, I, when we moved to Auckland, I know I'm wandering a little, but this is to help the pastor, okay. I was looking for a church. My parents were, I was looking for a church. I went to different churches in Auckland. 
a young young man of 17, nearly 18 years of age. And I would go to churches hungry for fellowship, longing to be engaged and, and to worship corporately. And there, church after church, I'd go, no one would, would even acknowledge this young man that came in. And then I went to First Assembly of God Church in, in Auckland. And um, I crossed the, the harbour by ferry, walked all the way up Queen Street. When I went in the chair, there was this dear Samoan brother, Brother Shah. God bless you, brother. And he, he, he worked in the meat works. Boy, when he shook my hand, I became a believer. <laughs> but he welcomed me so graciously. He might have been strong in terms of what his muscle development in his work, but he was gentle of spirit. And at the end of the service, another couple engaged me and, and they discovered that I was, had come across the shore and I wanted, I was so hungry for God, I wanted to stay the rest of the day waiting for the evening service. And they invited me home for lunch. Roast lamb. You see, it's showing kindness. It's noticing people. It's taking the initiative. You don't need a committee to serve God. You don't need to pass a motion. You just need to take the initiative. Jesus went about doing good. I, I, we travel as evangelists in America trusting God. That was another part of our scenario. God opened door after door. I remember I was in Houston, Texas, preaching we needed two airfares to get back to New Zealand. And I, and I thought, I, I had two weeks to go, and I was discouraged. And as I was preaching, this little lady, there's always the little lady in the church. <laughs> and she, she got up, it was a midweek service, she shuffled down the aisle, it was red carpet, Apparently, people give more of the carpets red. <laughs> it's true. I did that when I was pastoring in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, uh, we put in red carpet. Uh, and the offerings did go up. <laughs> but she, she, And I thought, oh dear, she's going to give a crazy prophecy or do something. And she, she walked slowly up the steps. Her hand was closed. And then she opened it. And a $5 bill dropped out and hit the podium. Didn't she didn't say anything. Then she went back to her seat. And the Lord spoke to me and said, If I can touch the heart of a little old lady, I can touch the heart of others that have the means to give more substantially. Because I'd made that covenant that God knew my needs. If he had called me, he would provide. And he did, and he has. And I give him thanks. He went about doing good. God wants to activate the churches. It's never been activated before. 
we have a greater challenge today than ever. And the only way we can reach the lost is by the power of the Spirit moving and walking in love. Uh, is that what time are we? Okay. There's much more I could say. But I just want to wrap this up. See, act, actually, I'm doing this for a purpose. I'm trying to release the ministry of helps. And, and everybody's looking at me doing this. And I'm thinking, well, no ministry of helps in this church. <laughs> I'm sorry. The pastor, see, the pastor, he, he, now that's how you do it. You get up from your seat and you go to where the need is. You unscrew the top and then you're able to uh, minister water to a dry preacher. <laughs> Sorry, I was told I was taught in college that when you drank water publicly, you had to do it to the side, otherwise they see your nostril development. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I said that. (laughs) If my wife would be here, I'd be looking at her face for her response. So bless her heart. I have a wonderful wife. She, she turns 80, as I mentioned, uh, next, next week. We've been married for 54 years. And one of us deserves a medal, and it's not me. <laughs> um, I know this is a little eclectic. I'm drawing from different sources, but I just, just feel to minister in the area of, of depression as I wrap this up. My son has been walking through a real uh, scenario in terms of his life, his marriage. He's had some breakthroughs this year. Um, He was born with a lot of congenital problems. Um, He nearly died. His esophagus was uh, incomplete and linked up with his trachea, so had he swallowed liquid, he would have drowned. And his birth was quite miraculous in how the Lord spoke to the, his doctor and gave him a vision of his chest and was able to um, uh, determine the procedures that should be taken for him. But he was he's, he's often been angry at God growing up. And uh, he's in Europe, he speaks French and English very fluently. He's an artist. And um, years ago, they, he, he did this booklet. It's in three languages, German, English, and French. And it's to reach the, uh, the uh, younger generation, young adults in Europe. And uh, it's entitled, Smash My Face. Smash My Face. My son's black and white. And I never realized what he was walking through when he was 16 years of age. Sometimes parents, we don't know what our children are walking through, what they're struggling with. Uh, They're not sure whether to share. And uh, he would go to his room. And uh, Anyway, this is what he wrote. It's called Silence, Silence. I just want to smash my face 
and hurt myself to make the pain go and justify my existence. I need to punish myself to make the wrong go away. I hate to look at what I am and see what I didn't like I became. Hypocrisy, the worst crime for the soul of a man, and how much I have come to embrace it. Disconnect soul from mind and how simple life becomes. Get up, make your bed, eat breakfast, take a shower, get dressed, go to school, survive classes. Avoid fights, take the bus home, sleep for hours, eat dinner, answer parents' questions, escape to room. Go to sleep and pray to never wake to see tomorrow. And then sometimes it would happen that I felt something good and I felt as if I understand that everything would be okay. I didn't know if I should tell anyone since I was the only one. I took the shotgun my dad got for me in a garage sale, loaded it and stuck it in my mouth. I put my finger to the trigger and closed my eyes. A soft voice said, please don't. I will miss you if you do. Where you would go, I cannot come for you. I stopped. I knew that my son was struggling, but I did not realize to the degree that he was suffering depression. And there are many Christians that are experiencing depression and discouragement. And I believe that the Lord wants to minister tonight to lift the spirit of depression from you. To change the focus of your thinking. What your things, a lovely good report, think on these things. And to trust that the Holy Spirit would give you hope. Hope. You know, when we we mess up, screw up, whatever word you want to use, we tend to be very hard on ourselves. And even although we experience forgiveness, we somehow have difficulty letting go of those, those areas of our life where we've struggled, failed, and we keep beating ourselves up. And God says, I want to bring a fresh healing to my church. I want my people to be a people that move in ministering healing to the broken and the diseased and the sick and the disenfranchised. Depression can prevent us from moving in the purposes of the Lord. can blur our vision of what we're supposed to do or make us feel as though we are disqualified from making a difference. And I just feel to pray a prayer and trust the Holy Spirit to work in your life. How many really resonate with what I've just shared? It's real stuff, isn't it? It's real stuff.
Those of you that lifted your hand, I just want you to come and stand at the front. I, I did say I was just going to pray, but I just feel I'm to move this. Just come and stand. I won't embarrass you. I just want to minister if that's okay.